My name is Laura. I am a marijuana addict. I have been sober. I just looked at my date counter. Um, I've been sober for five years and eight months. And I have done that one day at a time for over 2,000 days, which is amazing. Um, so, yes. Uh, oh, before I start, I am one of your Moz trustees. I'm one of 14, and if you have any questions or concerns, you can always reach me at outreach at marijuana-anonymous.org. Um, so that's the end of my – I will tell you about my service work when I come to it. So, uh, yes, how it was. So I am from Los Angeles. I've always been – I'm a native. And uh, – I come from a long line of addicts. So um, my dad's still actively in his addiction. My mom's dad died at, I think, maybe like 68 from his alcoholism. And uh, he used to drink a bottle of tequila, like a 40. So, yeah, he didn't last very long. But because of that, I only mention that because because of that, my parts of my family have always been in recovery or known about 12-step meetings, um, and they're mostly in, you know, the support group for the beverage uh, program and their families. So when I was a teenager, I joined Al-Anon for a while, or Alateen, excuse me. Uh, but I didn't go for very long because where I lived, it was really far to get to one meeting a week. But uh, that was my first introduction to going to a 12-step meeting. So moving further down the road, I, um, I was just kind of like a spacey, weird kid. And... Uh, so when I got to high school, I was really, I did really well in school. So by the time I got to my senior year, I, uh, I didn't have a lot of classes to do. So that was the first time I actually started smoking weed because my friend group at the time, uh, one of them would smoke weed and she was like, let's leave at lunch and go smoke. I didn't really have to be back at classes anymore. So I was like, okay, cool, let's do it. And so that was my beginning into smoking weed. So it really started like I was fun, fun with problems, problems with fun, and nothing but problems. So at first, when it was fun, I would smoke uh, with my friends at lunch, let's say, Monday through Friday. Then once um, I graduated high school, uh, I was pretty high functioning for a fairly, for a while. Um, I used to smoke, let's say, Wednesday through Sunday we would get together, and we would have doobie days, doobie day Wednesday, where we would all get together, smoke to oblivion, and drive around the city and have a fun. I, at that point, I had two jobs. I was going to 
school full time. So it was like, that was my way of turning it off and relaxing. Excuse me. Um, So that was when it was fun. Uh, When it started to become a problem for me was when I was 20, I left to go to college up in Santa Barbara. And so that was the first time I was ever on my own, no friends, no family. So I, I, you know, I did pretty well for a little bit of time. I uh, had another full-time job, went to school full-time. And, uh, yeah, so then at that point, again, I was smoking to escape at the end of a long day of work because I would get off work at 1 a.m., go home, and I almost can remember, like, I can almost picture myself sitting in my living room while my roommates are asleep and, like, being like, it's okay, I can smoke right now because I had a long day and I did a lot today. Well, that really quickly, and it was it was also a way to, like, connect with my roommates at that time. Um, but I really quickly, because I, you know, I'm an addict at heart. I have no self-control. So I really quickly, you know, started smoking, you know, wake and baking, smoking all the time. A three-year program turned into a four-year program. By the end of those four years, I had lost my car and I had didn't care that I couldn't drive because I needed to buy weed. Um, what else? I didn't work because at one point in college, I convinced myself that I could focus better on school if I didn't work full time. Well, no, that really just gave me more of an excuse to smoke all the time. And because I was smoking all the time, that's really what was making schoolwork so much harder. Because in high school, I had a 4.0. I was student of the year. And by college, I was barely scraping by. Like, I left college, and I still had two classes to complete after four years of a three-year program, by the way. Um, so, yeah, but I couldn't see all that. My smoking career lasted um, in total 14 years. So after college, you know, I come home, and instead of getting a job, I just keep smoking and keep smoking. And at one point, when I really became more problematic, I, I lost the apartment I had in downtown L.A., and I had to go live with family. So I essentially became homeless. And uh, I I luckily got a job, but it was too little, too late. So I used to have to take a 40-minute bus ride from one part of L.A. County to downtown L.A. And uh, then that also gave me another excuse to, like, smoke. I'm like, this sucks. I'm going to smoke more. Um, and, And, like, thankfully, my father, who is my my active addict in my life still um I lived with him but he was always like well we can smoke we can drink like he was my buddy when it came to that that was his way of connecting with us me and my siblings um so yeah he just I love him but it was not (laughs) not 
beneficial for me. But uh, anyway, so I uh, I keep smoking, and eventually, you know, me and my partner, we land um, we land back in L.A. after maybe almost a year, and um, we live with family again. And so what it, when I first really came into M.A. for my first time, it was New Year's Eve of 20, 2009. My brother was working at a very high-end restaurant at Hollywood and Highland, and he had an open bar, so we went to his work to um, to party for the New Year's because we never used to get to go to where he worked. And my dad, living with us, uh, he got super freaking wasted, and it was embarrassing. And that was my first, you know, I, when I review my story, there are multiple times where if I wish, I wish I would have seen the signs, but I wasn't ready. So um, this is a big sign. He got really drunk, embarrassed us, and I was like, I do not want to be this. You know, I started smoking weed because I wanted to be different from the alcoholics in my family, but that didn't happen. I just smoked like an alcoholic in that respect. Um, I wouldn't drink a bottle. I would smoke an ace in a day and a half. So I, the next day, you know, 2010, I Google marijuana addiction and MA comes up. So like, okay, cool. I've already been introduced to 12 steps. Like I can do this. Luckily um, for me, there is an MA meeting near where I'm living. So I was able to walk to a meeting and start going. Um, unfortunately, I still wasn't ready. And written review, I only went to one meeting a week, which didn't help me because that I needed more. I didn't know that at the time. Um, but that also, I was still smoking, so I wouldn't smoke just on the day I went to a meeting so I could share and be present. Um, but needing more than one meeting a week for myself, it was very easy to be like, oh, um, at one point I remember being stressed at work and it was a Thursday when I used to go to my meeting and I was like, you know what, F this, I got to work a double, I'm going to smoke. And I texted the people I knew at the meeting telling them I wasn't going to be able to make it and I never went back for five years. Well, in those five years, things didn't get any better. They got worse. Towards the end of my smoking career, I was just literally sitting at home all day, every day. I would start the day waking and baking, uh, watch a bunch of TV, pretend to do some stuff like clean my house or better myself, when really I was just smoking. At that point, I think I was almost smoking like an eighth a day. Um, the only time I would leave my house was when my brother came over and we would go eat somewhere or if I would get dressed and go eat somewhere. Um, other than that, I wasn't doing anything. I had no car. I had no income. I was living off my partner. 
um, it was it was really bad. So the biggest my my bottom became when he's like my father-in-law. Um, he got sick with food poisoning, and he almost died because he just wasn't taking care of himself, and it caused a lot of conflict within my relationship with my partner and like he had stopped that he was dry and I just didn't want to stop so you know the last day I smoked which was December 10th of 2019 oh wait 2015 I'm sorry 2015 um was just awful I cried all day I was like we're breaking up this is all it and I came home, we had a heart to heart. I smoked the last of my weed, uh, which was just a bowl. And then the next day I was like, okay, time to change. So I went to the Thursday meeting I went to five years ago. And I was just so, I felt so broken. Um, So I go to this meeting and the first time I went to the meeting five years before, you know, the things they told me were get a sponsor, get a temporary sponsor, go to 90 and 90, and call people. Well, I didn't do any of those things the first time. So the second time around when I'm feeling even worse about myself, I walk into the Thursday meeting, I see the one person from five years ago, because, you know, all meetings, we all kind of go to different ones. Um, so I see the one person I saw five years ago, and I just asked him to be my temporary sponsor. And at this point, I'm willing to take direction. So he's like, call me every day, go to 90 and 90, and we can start working the steps when you're ready, but let's just work on calling me every day. So I did. And... Um, in that first year of sobriety, I went to 90 and 90 because at that point, too, for me, I wasn't doing a lot. I, like I mentioned, I was sitting on my couch smoking all day. So I had time to go to a meeting every day. And um, in that first year, going to a meeting, I ended up going to a meeting every day because it helped me at least just start integrating myself back into daily living. You know, I get up take a shower, go to the meeting for an hour. Depending on where it is, I got to take the bus or walk. So that takes me at least 30 minutes to an hour, go to the meeting, fellowship, and then walk back home or take the bus home. So at that point, it's maybe like three or four hours. It's giving me something to do. Um, I start becoming more active in my family because I don't have anything going on, um, which was good, though. Uh, but yeah, that first year, I go to a lot of meetings. I take direction. Um, what else? And I actually changed sponsors. My first few years of sobriety, I changed sponsors several times just because I couldn't find the right fit. And I loved all of them, and they all gave me something. It just wasn't what worked for me. Uh, I now have a sponsor I've been with for over three and a half years and that relationship works for me it just took time um i 
Um, I think another thing that really helped me the second time around was I went to, I made friends because I was going to so many meetings. I made friends and I made connections. And those connections are vital to this day because I guess when we come here, we share things and we allow people to see us again. And when I did that, I, you know, met other people like me because when I was in my addiction, I thought I was, you know, my ego wants to separate me. So I'm a unique snowflake. Uh, You know, nobody's story is like mine. But the more I go to meetings, the more I hear the similarities and not the differences and then go to fellowship, the more I'm able, or at least talk to people, um, the more I'm able to open myself up to trusting people again, trusting myself, uh, and just knowing that I'm not alone. Because I think that's one of the biggest things when we're in addiction and life can be so chaotic that we feel alone, but we're really never alone. There are 7 billion people on the planet. Like, we are not alone. Um, So I go to a lot of meetings and take direction. In that first year, I uh, I did a 12, I did the 12 steps in a day for a workshop, which really helped me kind of like start weeding the garden. It helped me do a really quick fourth step and know kind of the stuff I needed to work on. And that really helped just get the ball rolling. Um, I know step four can be really scary, but it's one of those steps too, like we put so much weight into it that once you do it, it's like it, your chest can expand again. And at least you know what to work on. And I still use that every day. I'm working on a fourth step again and, you know, doing it again, I can see there are still things that are on my first first fourth step, fourth step that I still need to work on because I'm still just a person. I just want to be better. So uh, I go to a lot of meetings the first year. Second year, I get another job that I still have today that I really enjoy. It keeps me busy. I get a car again. I get my license back and do all that. I had to go to court and that's scary too. But I did all that because at least being in recovery, it taught me that I can face those things and they are scary, but whatever my higher, you know, whatever is in the cards for me will happen. And um, I just might not be, my expectations and what I want are always two different things, but maybe it's not what I need. So uh, I get my car back, going to court, scary. My third year, I, uh, my third year, I'm chugging along, things are going good, and, you know, I'm able to step up to the plate for certain people. My grandmother, uh, grandmother was 98 when she died, but she really started deteriorating in the summer of that year. And she wouldn't understand what we do here because her whole, you know, 
she would always ask me why I don't talk to my dad. She didn't understand why I didn't talk to my dad. And I, I would always try to tell her, like, he's sick. But she didn't understand that because she's 97 at this point. She's raised, like, 30 people in her life because she's the oldest of 14. Family is her whole life. So she doesn't understand why I won't talk to him. But when I got that call from my uncle saying that she's going to die, I dropped everything I was doing that day, the next day, and I went to her just in case. But she didn't pass away that day. She passed away maybe like six months later. But I made the commitment to go see her three times a week and help her and my uncle out. And it was stressful and it was hard. But that's what, what I felt like is what recovery gave me is that this showed up, so I have to do something about it because I won't be able to live with myself if I'm not there for her. And so I did. I was the last person to see her before she passed, you know. She died at 8 o'clock or 8 a.m. one day, and I left her hospital bed at 4 a.m. And it was really hard, but I wouldn't change anything that happened there for anything. Because the intimacy I got to share with her, she was my last grandparent, and I guess just being present for my feelings is something that, you know, three years prior to that, I would have ran from and not even looked back. I would have smoked myself into oblivion, and I didn't care. I would have felt horrible but I didn't care. So when she passed away, I was really sad. And I'm not even sure, like, how I got through that work day, but I did. And not once did I think about drinking or using. Because um, I, I guess I had done all the work and gone to so many meetings and done a spiritual practice to know that this is just part of life. And I can feel bad, and I can wallow in it, but I'm present for it, which is, ne- is something that I would not change now because life is stressful and a bunch of stuff comes up, but I wouldn't change it because I'm able to be present for it. And, like, thinking of that, today is the day that my very first roommate passed away. She passed away at 35. And it was around the same time my grandmother passed away. And um, I, I wanted to mention it because in the, my five plus years of being sober, because she died of a rare cancer at 35. And I never got to see her again when I was sober. We had made amends for how we left our roommate relationship and we had reconnected when I got sober but then she got cancer and I didn't feel like I could go see her because it was you know so big and I you know I wish now I would have made the effort because um, we all thought she was going to pull through so in August or yeah at the beginning of August they put her on hospice and I read it 
on her, you know, her support social media page. And that's when I knew I wasn't going to be able to see her again. Um, I happened to be in Vegas that day. I was at a conference with my partner. And so I was by myself. And I read it. And I was feeling super stressed out about my grandmother and then super sad about her. And I'm in Vegas. And this is the one time in the five years that, that I, I contemplated it. I contemplated going out onto the casino floor and just having a drink. Because I, I wasn't comfortable with all my feelings. And I was super sad. And luckily, because I have the program, I think I called my partner or I called my person and um, my other person and I told them about it. And luckily since we were at this conference and they had a friends of Bill W meeting every day, they told me, you know, get dressed, come to the meeting. So I did. Um, and again, like going back to my first year, you know, getting dressed took me an hour, getting an Uber, to the next hotel took me a few minutes and then I go to that meeting and I've learned to share and that it's okay to cry and be emotional and so I shared and then we went to dinner because we're in Vegas and yeah and that's how I got through but that was the one time that I really thought about it and I also learned that, like, I'm the one who takes myself out. But now I have the tools that will help me, you know, at least change the tune, which I find important. Because it's so easy for anybody, for us, to get stuck in our head and then listen to that voice in our head, and then we're off to the races. And I, I mean, for as hard as life is now, I would not want to, I would not want to go to the races like that again. I'll go, I'll go to some other races, like being stressed at work and stuff like that. But I, I will start drinking and using again because it's just, I guess it's weird to say, but like, I like feelings now. I, I still have a problem identifying my feelings because I've worked maybe almost most of my lifetime not identifying them. But I don't want to not identify them anymore. So that was year three of my sobriety. And um, year four and now year five, I just do a lot of service work, which helps. I mean, I still do the steps. I go to my meetings. Uh, when I first got into sobriety, to speak of another portion of recovery, which is, service. Um, I, I quickly became a secretary because the district I had gone to one of my first meetings in, they disbanded. Um, I go to a meeting on a Tuesday just to check it out because it's on the paper schedule in my neighborhood. I had to take the train there. I wasn't really sure if I was going to keep going back, but it was a very small meeting. I think when I first went, there might have been four people. I 
do some other meetings for two weeks because I was told not to just go to the same meeting at the begin with. Try to, you know, mix it up, see which meetings you like. And two weeks later, I go back to this Tuesday meeting, and I'm only there with one other person. And we're about to start a meeting when the secretary comes in, and he informs us that he can't be the secretary anymore. Since I'm the only other person there, guess I become the secretary because the other person there was the treasurer. Um, so I become the secretary, and I stay that secretary for almost three years, actually, which I know is against term limits, but it's such a small meeting that we would get commitments filled, and then people would drop off. So now we kind of been able to rotate service commitments, but uh, I just, it was, you know, if I wanted this meeting to survive, I would help and be of service by just being the secretary for as long as I needed to be. And yeah, so I, I was of service very early. And uh, for my neighbor, my neck of the woods, you could be um, a GSR once you have a year of sobriety. So once that happened and I had a car to drive to the GSR meetings, I became a GSR of one of my meetings. And I reached the term limit on that, which was about two years. And so this year I had, I was a GSR for three years for different meetings. This year I became the chair. Um, because I was vice chair, but the vice chair couldn't uh, fulfill his duty, so I became the chair. And um, last year, because nobody wanted to be the alternate for Moz or the conference, I became the alternate for my district, and that was my first introduction to going to the conference. And so. This year, my higher power ordained that I uh, become a trustee because literally we do a special vote where it's the fifth or the third legacy. And you vote and you vote and you vote until you get down to as few names as you can. Well, my name, we got down to three names, and my name was the name drawn out of a hat. So... That is how I became your trustee. And it's really cool. It's a lot of fun and a lot of work. But I wouldn't change it because in the end, being a part of MA gave me my life back. So at least now, I'm of service. And I help the fellowship as a whole. And I'm able to give back in that way. And most importantly, being of service, especially in the pandemic year we have had, you know, the pandemic years at this point we've had, that really helps me get out of my head. And it can be overwhelming at times. I'm not going to lie. But the best thing I've learned in recovery and being sober is I just have to break it down. Uh, when I'm doing step work, if I have a lot of questions to do, I break it down to doing, like, one question a day. Um, if I'm doing a fourth step, you know, I do one column a day. 
and then I'm done. Same thing in my life. I need to clean. I break it down to doing it one hour a day. I do my trustee work one hour a day. So at least I feel like I'm chipping away from at something and moving forward. Because I also have a tendency to procrastinate. And then that just, you know, that makes me feel worse. And I'm kind of over making myself feel bad. I'm getting too old. And I am too sober and self-aware now to want that for myself. So it's like, it is all just one day at a time. And sometimes it's one hour at a time, like I just mentioned. I just got to break stuff down. But it's doable. And, yeah, I have to thank you again for letting me share, or, you know, asking me to share. It's always a great honor, and it helps me re-examine certain things. And I just, I hope you got something from it, because it also helps me, helps us connect with each other. And that's the most important part of being in recovery. Uh, Somebody said, the opposite of addiction is connection. And so I hope you connected with something I said and you stay sober for today because it's only one day at a time. So thank you, thank you, thank you for letting me share.